Good morning. Welcome to another episode of Standing Outside the Fire. My name is Matt, I'm your host, coming to you from beautiful southeast Wyoming. It hasn't been very long since I added my latest episode, Little Fires Everywhere, which was a nod to a, a friend's show that's running right now. Executive producer and writer, in fact, screenwriter. So, yay. Very cool to see people you grew up with be successful and... Not that you have to be in Hollywood to be successful, certainly, but uh, I've got musician friends and actors, and and you know what? Those are people in the limelight. What about the ones that aren't? I have friends who are successful teachers, firefighters, parents. Some of them have chosen to stay home and be stay-at-home parents, moms and dads. You know, and that's hard work. That's as cool as, as anything else. So you don't need your name on the marquee to be uh, be successful. Okay, so I haven't come up with a topic yet. Hang on, I got some more stuff. In this COVID era, it's obviously on many of our minds, and I'm not going to beat it to death, but I do want to read you an email that I got from one of our listeners. And this individual is technically a senior citizen, although I'm sure she would argue that, but um, I've known her for a a long time, and she's a a very good friend of mine, and she sent this in to me because she'd listened to the podcast, and we've had some conversations about this, so anyway, here here it goes. Holy moly, I went to the grocery this morning at 6.15 and had an unbelievable experience. The store allows, quote, only seniors to shop between 6 and 7, sidebar, I think that's a great idea, back to the letter, when the shelves are being stocked, but not really. I don't quite know how to describe it. Since the store was limiting the number of people who could come in, all customers have to walk in one door and leave by another door at the other end of the store. There were tape arrows on the floor to direct the path we should take. Well, theoretically. If I missed a turn, I had to walk out of the store at the far end and then come back in at the entrance and follow the correct path. If I forgot something in aisle three, I had to do the same thing. If I forgot the eggs, I had to walk to Philadelphia and come back around. Now, again, another sidebar. A walk to Philadelphia would have been probably, I don't know, 80 miles or so. A little bit of uh, grandstanding there, but that's cool. Back to the story. Once I checked out with my groceries, I wanted to go back and get a Starbucks drink to take home. It was at the entrance end of the store. So then I have to leave the store, come back in. Fortunately, the Starbucks and the liquor section were close together, since I also needed to pick up some wine and that portion of the store didn't open till 7 a.m. I guess we old people can't be trusted with alcohol. So I picked up the Starbucks, got the wine, which I did not drink on the way home. Unfortunately, I did not think I would need a corkscrew at 7 a.m. Foolish me. Now... I just want to tell you, I had left the house without coffee or any food. Imagine my mood. I was polite with everyone except one guy who left his cart in the middle of the aisle and walked close past me going the wrong way. I made it home safely, left all of my groceries in the garage as I was supposed to do, and had breakfast, even though I burned it. So, 
I am picturing this whole thing. And, you know, now it's a, a maze through these grocery stores, which is different than what we're dealing with here uh, where I live. They are controlling entrances and exits. But I'll tell you what, if I had to follow this maze, right, like a rat through a grocery store, I would be a disaster, an utter disaster, because that's not how I shop. Now, when Angie and I go to the store, it's perfect. She writes the list based on where things are in the store. And we can we can do exactly what this, this person is suggesting, which is walk in the door, uh, follow the same path all the way around, and then come out the other end. And usually we're pretty successful. Every once in a while I have to run back and grab something, but that's usually in the section where it's it's the non-grocery section. Angie has the grocery section pegged to a T, and I love her for it because it, it keeps us from having to, to spend a lot of time there. Although now we've gone to online ordering, and that was prior to COVID, uh, because honestly it's two hours of our weekend that we now save and the stress level and the sanity is is absolutely worth the the trouble so anyway check it out if you're not doing it uh, although most people probably are at this point anyway that was a, a funny anecdote i thought and i'm picturing this this individual and, and maybe some of it's funnier because i know who it is uh, but just doing these laps and laps and laps and that's what i would do is i would have to make laps and laps and laps because i even on a good day even with a list, even knowing exactly where everything is, I still, you know, sometimes I want to kind of kick my GPS on and see how I walk through the store because I think it would be a, a whole ridiculous path. So send those stories in. It, I, I love to hear them. It's it's great. I now have a way on the website to for you to post comments uh, on my blog posts. You can always email me. You can always send me a message on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, uh, all of those cool things. topic for today is going to carry over. It's, it's going to be twofold. Uh, it's going to carry over from last episode where we talked about leadership. And we've talked a, a lot about leadership. And, and I, I'm not quite sure why that is. Maybe it's, maybe it's on my mind. But I did have another reader or listener. I don't know why I call it reader. They don't, you don't read a podcast. Although, as a sidebar, if anybody knows of any software that is worthwhile to take audio files and have them transcribed that would be that would be very helpful so send me a message if you would this individual sent me a message and it was after i released the the latest podcast and what he said was after he'd listened to that episode he said you know i enjoyed it but here's an idea for the next one he said what about the leader that's a nice guy or gal? 
cares about his people. So in contrast to what we talked about last episode, but is actually incompetent and has no understanding of the job or how his or her subordinates should be functioning in that job. And I thought about that for a minute and I said, you know, that is a great comparison and contrast to the apathetic leader we talked about in the last episode. I think it's a great place to start. We'll jump off there here in a moment and see where it takes us. All right, one thing before we jump right into the topic. All of the musical selections I've used in this episode, and last episode in fact, are all musicians who have died from COVID or COVID-related illnesses. Please be safe, wash your hands, uh, social distancing, stay at home if you can. All of the, the CDC recommendations, just take care of yourselves and your family, that's very important. So in honor to those individuals, those musicians who have passed away as a result, I have honored them, some of whom I've heard of, some of whom I haven't. Uh, I will be putting all of the credits on the website. So if you're interested, uh, you can check those out. found some really, really good stuff that I'd never heard before, um, unfortunately, as many times it happens, uh, a little too little, a little too late, but um, I'm human like the rest of us. So back to the topic. Leaders who are nice guys and gals, but don't really know what's going on. And that is as much of a challenge as leaders who are, are, are technically proficient, but don't care about their people, those apathetic leaders like we talked about yesterday. And the worst case scenario is somebody who doesn't know what they're doing, nor do they care about their people. I don't know. I know they're out there. I have no idea how they ever get into leadership positions. Um, I can hazard a guess, but anyway. So a nice guy or gal, how do they get in those roles? How do they end up in a, a leadership position? Don't you need technical proficiency to become a leader? Well, not necessarily. Let me posit this. For those of you in emergency services, and those who aren't, you can, you can follow along with this too. If you have an incident, let's say it's a, a large hazardous materials incident, for example, your incident commander, is he or she going to be an expert in hazardous materials? Maybe, maybe not. Can they be an effective leader of that entire incident without any knowledge of hazardous materials or, or a bare minimum knowledge of hazmat? The answer is absolutely yes. Now, running an incident, managing an incident in this case, or managing a business for that matter, does not necessarily mean that you have to have a high level of technological experience, a high level of subject matter expert knowledge. But in that case, you do have to mitigate that situation. And in the incident management world, what you do is you bring in technical specialists. You bring in hazardous materials experts because you'd be a fool not to. 
You'd be a fool to wing it. If you don't know anything about hazmat, why would you be uh, managing an incident without that information? And so you bring in an SME, a subject matter expert. And the same thing is true in business. They're not called subject matter experts, I don't think. They're usually called consultants who come in and tell you that you suck at what you're doing. You need to fire this person, that person. You know, I think of the the movie Office Space uh, and the Bobs coming in. Those subject matter experts, those consultants, are the ones with the knowledge about that specific topic. And that works. They can provide you input. But if you are proficient, hopefully better than proficient, at, at managing a business or managing an incident in this case, then that's a, a perfect world. That is a, a possibility. You can be a leader and not have a huge amount of technical expertise. However, if you are a fire captain, perhaps, and your role is to uh, supervise an engine crew on either a structural or a wildland engine, don't you think you should know something about firefighting? Don't you think you should know something about EMS? Don't you think you should have a basic understanding of hazardous materials and uh, electricity and gas and you know all of those things that you will run across you can't rely on everybody else you can't bring in a consultant to tell you how to handle an emergency situation you have to know that if you get hired as a battalion chief and you're being brought in to you know manage a, a shift say don't you think you should have enough experience in the roles below you to be able to supervise them if you just suddenly get promoted a battalion chief from firefighter and you don't have the experience or knowledge of an engineer or a captain or a lieutenant and you're going to be supervising them how effective do you think you're going to be how much respect and credibility do you have with those individuals below you if they know your your background um good luck good luck because you're up against it Because those folks are relentless if they see somebody jumping rank. But let's say, let's say that you're a really nice guy. Let's say you're a nice gal and you come in and you bring them cookies on your first day and you you let them bend the rules a little bit. You know, maybe maybe Xbox time starts at at 5 o'clock instead of 7 p.m. What if you cater to all of their needs and do everything in your power to get them everything they want, not everything they need. And they like you for it. They like you for it because you are, you're catering to them. So yeah, you're a nice guy. Uh, you call them on their off days and check in on them. You go help them at the, at the house if they need to split wood or you need to paint something or any one of those things, like you could be a really nice person, but that doesn't make you a good supervisor. In fact, uh, for a long time, uh, in my own management career, and, and as I've said before, I was promoted to lieutenant at 22 or 23, way too early for me at least. But I learned some some valuable lessons. My chief at the time was very very helpful. In fact, a little anecdote on that. There was a time where 
my crew members, and I had at that time probably about 14 of them. We, we'd had a, a grant that we'd gotten, and we were able to bring on seven additional firefighters. And so then the crew ended up being about 14, which was a lot of people to manage from, from my standpoint. So especially that early in my career. And one day I got called into the chief's office and he sat down and he said, Matt, what the hell are you doing? And I said, well, I, I, I don't know. What, what, what do you mean? What am I doing? And he said, well, I've now had three complaints in the last three weeks from your guys about you not being willing to send them to training to get them experience that they've asked to, you know, help them grow. And I said, well, oh, okay, well, I, you know, I haven't really heard anything about it. He said, well, you have, but you just haven't been listening. They, when, when somebody has to ask you three or four times for something, it means that it's important to them and you haven't been addressing that. And I said, oh, okay, well, I, I guess... I guess I'll do better. And he said, no, you need to think about it differently. And I said, okay, well, how do I think about it differently? And he said, look, why are you not doing what you can to get these people the experience they need? And I said, well, first of all, these guys are asking for things that are outside of their scope. They're asking for training and experience that I just took myself or I got myself recently. So they need a little bit more time. You know, I've been in this for a couple of years now. They need to, to, to earn their chops. And he kind of looked at me and smirked and he said, all right, well, why else? And I said, well, you know, training budgets and, um, time and all of this. And he said, you know what? You're so full of shit, Matt. I said, excuse me. And he said, look, you know, you have the training budget. I told you that you have thousands of dollars in your training budget. So that excuse goes out the window. You have 14 guys on the crew. You mean to tell me you can't kick one or two loose right now, especially right now? It's a, it's a wet spring. Uh, we've got months. Go send these guys and get them experience and knowledge. And I, I kind of looked and I said, okay, chief, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll do that. And, and he said, yeah, but what is the real reason, Matt? And he had me pegged. And I couldn't put my finger on it. And he leaned over the desk at me and he said, look, man, here's why. You are afraid that if they go get the experience and training and knowledge that you have, that you will be out of a job. And I sat there and I thought about it for a minute. And I realized that my ego was wrapped up in this. And as a young firefighter, a young lieutenant, my ego was pretty fragile. And I looked at him and I said, well, yeah, chief, you know, maybe you're right. He said, no, I know I'm right because I know you, but here's what you were not seeing. You don't understand that if you bring your, that the guys that are right below you up to your level, and that means you can walk out the door. And he said, I know, but that's what I'm worried about. He said, no. You can walk out the door and go get more experience and training and fire assignments yourself. Because if you have duplicity behind you, if you have somebody who can step into your role, that means I am going to allow you to walk out the door and go do fun things and go get more experience and go get more training. If you don't have somebody to back you up, if you don't have somebody who knows how to do every bit of your job part and parcel, then you're not going anywhere. I was floored. I had never, ever thought about it that way. 
And that was a failure of my own leadership. And then he allowed me to sit and ruminate for about a minute or two. He looked at me and said, Wood, get out of my office. I said, yes, chief. And I walked out and that was a huge, huge learning lesson for me. Later on down the road, after I had really enveloped that idea and started to train people right up to my level, they didn't understand it. And, and people had the same perspective that I did at 22 or 23. And sometimes I've explained that. A lot of times I've explained that to new, new officers, new leaders, is that that's a, a great perspective. And, and most leaders, higher up leaders, recognize that and value that. Some people, yeah, you do make yourself obsolete and they'll get rid of you, especially if cost is a, an issue or funding is an issue, but either way. So later on, I was in another role where I was managing a fire crew and this time it was a bit smaller. We had four or five guys, including myself. And one day we were sitting around drinking beers after a fire and one of the guys was like, you know, uh, I need, I need some help this weekend at the house. Um, is anybody up for it? And I need some pickups cause I need to move some, move some things. And I said, well, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm more than happy to help. And he said, well, aren't you going to be back up in Wyoming? Cause I was working down in Colorado and it was probably about a hour and a half, two hour drive. So I wasn't commuting. I would stay down in Colorado, um, Monday through Thursday. And then, uh, cause we worked four tens and I'd go back up. And I said, well, yeah, I'd, ordinarily I'd plan on going back up, but if you want to work Friday, Saturday, I'll just stay here at the cash and um, and help you out. And he looked at me, and, and everybody's around. You know, we'd had a couple of beers, and that's obviously back in my drinking days. But he looked at me, he goes, you know, Matt, I got to tell you, you, you're awful helpful sometimes. And he said, but the other thing is, and I, I don't quite understand this, you also can be an asshole. You know what? You... You are the helpful asshole. And suddenly then it, it dawned on everybody and everybody was rolling. And um, that became kind of my new, my new nickname. Even though I was the, their supervisor, it didn't matter. It was, uh, it was a pretty tight-knit crew. And, and honestly, I miss those days. I miss those guys uh, tremendously, in fact. But they've all gone on to do great things. Some of them are on hotshot crews. Some of them are now structural firefighters. It, it does my heart good to see those guys and gals do, uh, well, those guys in this case, do great things. So I'm, I'm happy for them. And, and all of that was a, a great learning lesson. But that really is who I am. I am a helpful asshole. And I don't I don't mean to be an asshole. And, and what, what they see is my assholeness for lack of a better term is really me being a leader who held them accountable who had them follow the rules even when they didn't want to and so as a leader i was not and i still don't want to be my 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 goal is not to be their friend it's like being a parent you have to put your foot down you have to say no and nobody likes to hear no nobody does and that was the situation that I was in with these guys was, yeah, we can go out, we can drink beers, we can have a good time. We can go do stupid stuff when we're not on the, on, not on the clock. But when it comes to work, it's all work and I will help you and I will train you and I will guide you and I will teach you and I will mentor you. But if you're wrong, you're wrong and I'm going to hold you accountable. And there were a couple of guys on that crew that did not like that 
who couldn't handle it. In fact, um, you know, there were times where people left because they did not like it. They couldn't draw the line between, hey, we can be friends after shift, but on shift, you're going to be a jerk to me. No, it's not being a jerk to you. It's being a supervisor. We can't be friends all of the time. I'm here to do a job. I get paid to manage you. And if you don't like the way I'm managing, we have two choices. We can sit down, have a conversation, like grown-ass men, figure it out, or there's the door. And and that wasn't always my approach. I would rather work it out because anytime you boot somebody off of the crew or you run them off a crew, it has negative impacts across the board because the rest of the crew sees that. They're concerned about it. They don't see all of the perspectives and suddenly I'm the asshole and not helpful at all because I just got rid of one of the guys on the crew because that individual couldn't manage themselves, couldn't manage the relationships that we have as as firefighters, which is difficult. It's difficult to switch it on and switch it off. And some people cannot handle a situation where off shift we can go hang out and go hunting and fishing and having a good time and then go back to work. And then when you do something wrong, I write you up and discipline you. They can't handle that. And I don't know what to do with that. And sometimes I, I revert back into my shell where I don't, I'm not friends. You know, when I get into a new leadership role, I don't let them know about my personal life. I don't let them know about who I really am. I'm guarded. And I do the same thing at a party, for instance. I'm not out to be everybody's friend, but I'm also not out to be an asshole. Okay, back to the leader who is the friend, who tries to get people to like him or her all of the time, but isn't technically proficient. What do we as subordinates of those types of leaders do? Well, I will go back to what I said in the previous episode. You have two choices. You can sit around You can wait for somebody higher up than that individual to recognize that they are not technically proficient and shouldn't be in the job. And then with that recognition, then remove them and put somebody else in their place. Problem with that is who hired them? Who put them in the role in the first place? More often than not, their supervisors were involved in that decision. So good luck. You're going to be Rip Van Winkle by the time that individual walks out the door. We're talking years at least. At least. So then the other option, as I illustrated last time, was to take the matter into your own hands. If this person wants so badly to be your friend, and so badly to keep you happy, then let that individual know what will make you happy which is technological proficiency. So help that person. Help train them. And that sounds jacked up. It sounds jacked up that you, who make less money, who have less authority, who uh, likely have less time to do any of that, are, I'm, I'm asking you to help train that individual, even though that individual should be training you 
Yes, that's exactly what I'm saying. And is it a good situation? No. Do I like it? Absolutely not. But is it going to get you through the day? Is it going to get you where you want to be? You do not have any control over anybody in this world but yourself, even though you like to think so sometimes. And I thought that for a long, long time. I thought I was pretty powerful, that people should drive the way I want, people should listen to me, follow my rules, do what I think, do what I say because I said it. That's not how this works. That's not how any of this works. So take the matter into your own hands. If that person is deficient in hazmat, help teach them. Say, hey, could, could we go over some hazmat stuff? I'd be more than happy to teach it because I'm, I'm proficient at it. Is that person going to say no? They better not. Can you make it so that they have to sit in that room while you're going through the training? Yeah, say, hey, look, this would be great. We'd love to have you sit in. We'd love to have you be part of this. We would love your input. We, we would love to have your experience. And even if they sit there and say nothing and do nothing, at least they're getting the training. Okay? If I have a structural fire battalion chief who has very little experience in wildland fire and I have 25 years, same thing. Uh, hey, you know what? Fire season's coming up. Uh, we gotta we gotta teach this refresher class. Would you like to be be part of that? Would you like to teach a unit in that? And and maybe they're not comfortable with that because they don't know the material. Sit down and help them become comfortable with the material. In my experience, and this is one of the reasons why I love to teach, is because if I'm going to be able to teach it and teach it well. I have to know it even better than the students and even better than just the average schmo because when I sit down and I start teaching a class and the questions come up, I have to know the answers. I'm the teacher. I'm supposed to be the expert. And so I have been in classes where I have taught and I'm not familiar with the material. I'm not familiar with the actual documents. I'm not familiar with the quizzes. I'm not familiar. And I'm, I've been in familiar with the, the concepts or the ideas, but not with that particular teaching package. Um, you want to talk about the most uncomfortable situation, which is you're, you're standing there. You have... 20 or 30 people who are expecting you to be the subject matter expert and you're fumble farting around through this stuff it is it is not a good feeling i can i can remember those classes that i've taught and it's bad it sucks and those of you who have done any training know exactly what i'm talking about because we've all been in that boat it's miserable and so i have to get that information and i have to know it well enough to be able to translate it, to answer any questions, to dissect it, to adapt it to the multitude of learning styles that are out there. If you do that with these leaders, they are going to find that they are either very uncomfortable and look very poorly in front of their subordinates. And that might only take once. From that point forward, they are going to do the research on their own. They're going to spend the time and you can just nudge them, right? I talked about it the other day, leading up, lead up. That's all this is about. And it's not about stepping on toes. It's not about um, assassinating egos because that will not work. I guarantee you. It's about leading up. I talked to my dad the other day and he kindly listens to my podcasts and kindly 
gives me constructive criticism, which is great because I, I don't always get that from, from listeners. Uh, they just want to say, hey, this is good. We liked it, blah, blah, blah. But, but a lot of people have been constructive, and that's great. I, I, I do appreciate that, and I think I've said that before. But I'm on the phone with my dad. We're talking about the podcast. And jokingly, he says, so, Matt, I, I, realized, uh, I realized something after listening to your podcast. And I said, okay, well, what is that? And it pops. And he says, I realized that it seems like probably for the last 20 or 25 years you've been leading up. And I said, well, yeah. He said, I'm not, I'm not talking about in your, in your profession or your career. You've been leading up with me. And so he, he was jokingly um, pointing out the fact that I was shaping my father the, the way that I wanted my father to be. And I, I think we all do that, you know, to a certain extent. Some people call it leading up. Some people refer to it as, as manipulation, and it's not. Uh, manipulation has a bad connotation, and maybe it is manipulation. But what I like to think of it is influence. You're influencing people. That sounds, it's got a nicer ring than manipulation, right? Because influencing is, is positive. So where does all of this leave us? Well, with those leaders who are inherently incompetent, which again has a negative connotation, we can help. As subordinates, we can help. We can try and help educate them in the areas that they need education, mainly on the subject matter stuff. If you have a leader who is not a good manager, not a good supervisor, not a good leader, that's trouble. It is trouble because you can't teach leadership. I say that as a question. I think some people are inherently good leaders based on how they grew up, how they were taught, how they were trained. I think you can teach leadership, but I think some people are more innately designed to be able to be a good leader. But you can certainly increase somebody's knowledge base and get their subject matter knowledge up to where it needs to be. And that's the role that you can play. You can sit around and you can complain, as we've talked about earlier. You can sit and complain all you want. That doesn't change things. In fact, it makes it worse because everybody around you know that things suck. You don't have to tell everybody. We've all been in that situation. What happens when we're all sitting, in my case, on the back of a trailer in 20-degree weather with 10-degree wind chill, and it's sleeting or snowing outside, and we're picking up equipment, and it sucks, and there's no question about it. It sucks. But if Billy over there keeps telling us it all sucks, does that make it better? No. It actually makes it worse because each one of us gets to a place in our head where we're just trying to get through the job, Yet Billy keeps reminding us, hey guys, this really sucks. Uh, this is cold, it's crappy, I'm hungry, I'm tired. Yep, Billy, you're about to get thrown off the trailer, shut your pie hole. Sorry, I'm not bitter or anything. Anyway, leaders need to know the subject matter that they are leading, no question. But if you can 
help develop that. You help develop a rapport with them. You lead up. You provide them opportunities to grow. Is it the way that it should be? Absolutely not. The table should be turned. Your leaders and your supervisors should be helping to develop you. However, that's not always the way it works. And so if you find yourself in that position, you have those choices. You can either be miserable and hate life and uh, be frustrated and be annoyed and so on and so forth. Or you can choose to do something about it. The choice is yours. That's all for this episode. Thank you very much for joining in. Please, again, stay safe, stay healthy, do all the right things that your government folks and the CDC are asking. Uh, Who doesn't love a personal bubble of six feet? All right? I love it. Stay away from me. Works well for me, at least. Anyway, please do stay healthy. I look forward to seeing you back for the next episode. And thank you again for your time. Mm -hmm.